0: Happy New Year, 2023. My Jesus is coming for you and for me. me. Yeah. Do you believe that? I believe very possibly, very, very, very possibly this could be the year. Yeah. And uh, so I'm encouraged. I hope you are, too. And this morning, I just wanted to give you a message. I was going to start the book of Acts this morning. So if you read ahead, I'm uh, glad you did. And just continue to because I'll start the book of Acts next week. But this week, I have another message for you. Every year, I pray that the Lord would give me a word for the year for you. And uh, as you can see, these banners around the room, those are the words that we we had received, or I personally had received previously. And I hadn't received a word until I was homesick on Monday and Tuesday of last week. And it's always uh, good to be alone with the Lord in a sickbed, you know? He speaks to me so often that way. And so I I received the word for this year as I was laying in bed, just contemplating uh, what the situation is that we're facing today in this world. And the word was contend. Contend. It's the Strong's words. Uh, let me drop that screen down there. It's the Strong's word, if you know what a Strong's concordance is, G. 1964. And I'll take a look at that. I think it's a very important word, a very applica- applicable to the time and age in which we're in right now. There we go. All right, who wants to pronounce that? Epe-ego-need-zome. <laughs> Epe-ego-need-zome. All right? Now, it comes from two words. Epe, meaning? Upon. And e meaning anxiety or an anxiousness or a striving or a conflict or a stress that will come upon. And we're to contend with that agonizing, that stress, and that striving, and that trial that would come upon us. And so I do believe that we're going to be facing some situations that the church in the United States has never had to face before. But we'll do that in the Lord's strength as we obey his admonition to contend, to fight. And there's only one place in the Bible where that word is used. Anybody have any idea? I'm sorry? The book of Jude, the second to the last book of the scripture. So turn there. Thank you, Darren. The book of Jude. Turn with me there. Now book of Jude is only 25 verses. Jude, uh, his name is Judas, but he uses the word Jude. I can imagine why, because Judas was previously the betrayer of the Lord. But Jude or Judas was a very, very common name in the first century there. And who is this Jude? Yeah, as you say, that's who he is. (laughs) He describes himself in three ways. Jude, he's this man, Jude, okay? But he's a a servant of God, a doulos, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, okay? And he is the brother of? And hinting around to the fact that he's the brother of? But he doesn't play that card right off, does he? No, he doesn't play the trump card that he has, being a a half-brother of Jesus. But he says, no, I'm simply the brother of James, And we see that this Jude and this James were the half-brothers of Jesus. None of his brothers were in the faith until after the resurrection. And this Jude, James, would have seen the resurrection as recorded for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And they came to faith after that fact. And so that's who's writing. But I want to, if you're a student of the scripture, that you know that the book of Jude parallels another New Testament book, very close to where James is located in the New Testament. And what book is that? That's right, 2 Peter. 2 Peter and Jude deal with the same situation. Peter is warning of the apostasy or the apostates to come, that they're coming into the church, and you need to be careful that the greatest enemies of the church are not from without, but they are from? And Jude now says they're here, the apostates and the apostasy. These enemies of the gospel, these enemies of Jesus Christ, these enemies of the faith have crept in unnoticed. And so that's what he's writing about. And as you know, I've been doing a lot of thinking about what's happening in the contemporary church today. And it's a very sad situation how spiritually anemic the professing church is. Now, you know if you've been here any length of time at all, and if you're new, I make a distinction between Christian dumb with the emphasis upon the no. Well, they are. Never before have we had the ability to so accurately, so succinctly interpret the scriptures, but never before has the church, by and large, been so ignorant of the scriptures they say they believe. So I make this distinction between dumb and the body of Christ. You see, not all who profess him really truly know him. And Jesus himself had warned us and said, there'll come a time at the end of the age when he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. And they would say, but Lord, we did all these wonders and these works, these false miracles, this boasting, this bragging, this glorifying of self. And he said, no, 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 I never knew you. And the word no there is speaking of an intimacy of relationship, much like in the Hebrew, the Yadah, where Abraham Yadah, Sarah, and she conceived. Abraham knew Sarah. They knew one another. You see, in marriage, you know, the physical relationship is really to represent how we desire to be so close to one another, to get as close as we possibly can. And, and, and the expression of that that God has given us in the physical is that union, the physical union that would take place between a man and a woman where he would press his body, his life into hers, she would give hers to him, and they would become one. Well, that is simply a manifestation, a type of representation, a sign, a symbol of the oneness that you and I are to have with Jesus Christ. As I said before, the highest essence or quintessence of the word intercourse is when the Holy Spirit presses his life into mine, as I'm the bride of Christ. But I will will say, based upon my experience in 42 years of being a Christian, Most people who profess faith do not possess faith. If I shared with you once, I've shared with you a thousand times, beloved, when you're out there, do not be deceived. Listen with your eyes. Don't listen with your ears. Your ears will deceive you. But people live what they believe. And our belief should be backed up by our behavior our creeds, are calling, by our conduct, our doctrine, by our duty, our way of life. Is that not true? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Now, Jude was very grieved over what he was seeing taking place within the church. This, this compromise or this corruption that was creeping in And it was so pervasive, and yet so many within the flock were being so duped by it, didn't see it at all. And so he he felt it was necessary, rather than to talk about the joy of the common salvation, and we love talking about our salvation, don't we? About the sovereign grace of God. Oh, Wednesday night. Wednesday night. Where are we going to be Wednesday night? We're going to be here at the chapel Wednesday night. This week begins all of our regular services all over again. We're canceling nothing, so we'll be here Wednesday night. We'll be here Friday night for our fireside fellowship. Saturday morning men's study. Sunday morning back again, and we'll be in the book of Acts. But Wednesday, where are we going to be Wednesday? In Ezekiel where? Ezekiel 16. And if you were to sum up Ezekiel 16, it would be a demonstration of of the sovereign grace of God. That grace that is absolutely so amazing, that grace that is incomprehensible, that is inexplicable. You, I can't explain God's grace, nor, nor do I understand it. It is so wonderful. And if you're here Wednesday night, you're going you're to see what I mean when I take you through that text. But after all of that betrayal, that rebellion, that sin, that transgression, God at the very end offers a kofar. What is that? Atonement. Atonement. Wow. Wow. And so that's what Jude begins with. He, that's what he really wanted to talk about was, was that forgiveness, grace, and mercy that comes through Jesus Christ, that reconciliation to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, the propitiation for our sin. But he said there's a much more pressing matter. And, and I, I see it more now than ever before in the state of the church in the United States and in the West. And so that's what I want to talk to you about this morning for a few minutes. I hope uh, this warning will fall on listening ears. I hope you'll have an understanding mind and appreciate the fact that we need to press into our relationship with the Lord more than ever before. In your presence, I'm strong. In your presence, that's where I belong. Seeking your face. Experience your grace. More than ever before, beloved, as the body of Christ, you're going to need to press into the life of Christ because there is so much out there that will seduce you away from the faith in believing the lie, which a myriad of people will fall to, and we know that. So I'm just going to repeat what God has already said, and it appears to me that we are in this time. That Jude spoke of, but is magnified in our time more than any other. Can we pray one more time? Father, this is such an extremely important message, exhortation, Lord. I love that word exhortation as you describe it, that paracoleto, where you've called the Holy Spirit to come alongside, where you've called the Holy Spirit to be our tutor and our mentor this morning and teaching us this short epistle of Jude, but so powerful. I could spend weeks in these 25 verses. But, Lord, we're going to take this morning, and I ask, Lord, by the person of your Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father, Jesus, Spirit of God, would you please be our tutor beyond anything that I have studied or know or anything that I share, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, will you enlighten the minds, swell the hearts, transform, change the lives of those in my hearing this morning, everybody in this sanctuary, those over the internet, good morning, Christina and Jimmy. Lord, we pray you have your will and your way in changing our lives through your word, for faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So increase our faith, Lord Jesus. And give us discernment, Lord, in the time in which we live like none other. I am so excited. 2023. Oh, boy. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said? Amen. 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 So begins Jude or Judas, a bond servant, a due loss of Jesus Christ. Now we're all called to be that due loss, that bond servant, giving our life to Christ, in service to him. And we know that that comes from the text in in Exodus 21 in the Law of the Nazarite, or the bond servant. When he didn't want to leave his master, although it came time that he could be freed and leave, he didn't want to go anywhere else. Where would I go? You've been so good to me, master. I want to stay here and I want to serve you. And it's interesting how it's engineered in the text by the Holy Spirit there in Exodus 21 that the master of the house would take that servant to the doorpost of the house and press an awl in his ear and put a ring in his ear and claim that servant to be his own. And he said, now you will serve me now and? Isn't that interesting that it's forever in the text? Although we know that no human being will ever serve a human master forever. The truth is, beloved, none of us get out of here alive. You know that? <laughs> that's a joke, okay? <laughs> none, none of us get out of here alive. All of our lives are very temporary in this life, but we have the promise of eternal life, and that's what the text is speaking of more than anything else, is that we would offer ourselves in service to God now and forever, for all of our life. And isn't it interesting? I can't imagine what it must have been like growing up with Jesus. I think Jude is like the fourth son in in that succession of, of children. Mary and Joseph, they had uh, Jesus was conceived supernaturally by the Holy Spirit, but after that, Mary and Joseph had their own children. So how many did they have in the household altogether that we're aware of? Yeah, four boys and and sisters. Two or more. So we don't know how many girls. I hope we had lots of girls, right? You know what they say, how many girls you got now? Five. Five. Yeah, Five. A son is a son till he takes a wife. A daughter is a daughter. You're a blessed man, Nathan. All of her life, you know? <laughs> but nonetheless, at least seven. But there were a multitude of girls, two or more, and there were at least four boys, right? And so we know that Jude, I think it was the fourth of the sons. of I can't imagine what it must have been like for James and Jude, Joseph and the others, to be growing up with Jesus as their older brother. Can you imagine trying to live up to that example? Oh, my. <laughs> And so I could imagine there was some resentment over time. You know, I had an older brother that seemed to be perfect, and I was far from perfect. (laughs) I gave my parents a prayer life if they had one at all. (laughs) And I never could live up to the reputation of my older brother, Uh, nor did I try. (laughs) I developed my own reputation, which was bad. (laughs) But I can't imagine what it would have been like to be a sibling of Jesus, you know. And all during that time, you know, they, they didn't believe in him. So if you go to Matthew's gospel, you go to Mark's gospel, you'll see that they did have other children, although the Catholic Church would deny that. That's anti-biblical. They're trying to magnify Marian, the Marian Catholics there who worship Mary, as you see, redemptrix if you know what I'm talking about, about all that, that's so heretical. Hmm. But nonetheless, you know, we know that there was a time when Mary and her children, the sons in particular, came to bring Jesus home because they thought he was beside himself, claiming to be the Messiah. and It was an embarrassment to the family. And so when they came to get him, there was a big crowd, and Jesus was teaching them, as he had always done. And they said, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here. And what did he say? Who's my mother? Who are my brothers? but those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Mary probably thought, I'll show you who your mother is. <laughs> no. But they got the understanding, didn't they? And aren't we thankful that we are now grafted and we are part of the family. We are the brothers and sisters of Jesus now. Yeah. Well, This is that Jude, but he doesn't, again, I said he doesn't use that trump card, he doesn't play on his relationship with his brother. Simply identifies himself as Jude, the man, the bondservant, the doulos, the brother of James. To those who are the called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. We see the work of the Trinity of God here. Paul would say in Romans 1, let's say you're the called, beloved saints of God. Kaletos, agapetos, hagios, is the Greek text there. The called, kaletos, you're called of God. Listen, no one comes to God on their own. Do you understand about... I hope, I hope you understand the gospel. The gospel is that you were so far removed from God, there was no way you would come to You had no inclination for God whatsoever. It wasn't in your heart, nor was it in your desire. Man cannot come to God, lest God open up their minds and their hearts and He draws them to Him. That's what it means by the election or the call, called of God. Of all that God has, the Father has chosen to come unto me, Jesus said, I lose no one, and they will all come, 100%. 100% of the sheep that God has called to come unto Jesus will come unto Jesus. Now, how do I reconcile God's sovereignty and salvation with regard to man's free will? I don't have that intellect. I don't have that mind. I don't have the ability, nor does anyone. But I realize that I have not chosen him, for he has chosen me before the foundation of the world had ever come into existence. But I also recognize that whoever, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So my joy and your joy is to go out there and discover who is it that is the call of God, the kaletos, agapetos, agios. Kaletos called agapetos. What does agapetos mean, David? What does your name mean? Beloved, beloved. beloved. That's what ag- agapetos is, the beloved ag- Agape. God's agape, unconditional, sacrificial love towards those whom he has called. Kaletos, agapetos, hagios. What's hagios? Most holy. Oh, in a religious system I grew up in, only certain people were saints, only certain people were declared to be holy. But the Bible says that all of us in Jesus Christ are holy. Hagios means most holy ones. Why? Take off thy sandals, off thy feet, Moses, thereupon holy. Why was it holy ground? Because God was there. And why are you holy? Because the Holy Spirit dwells within you. That's the only reason why you're the hagios of God. The most holy ones. Well, basically he's saying the same thing here in this triad. Those who are called, those who are sanctified or beloved, another text would say, of the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. The work of the the Holy Spirit calling you, the work of the Father in loving you and sanctifying you, the work of Jesus in preserving you and keeping you. I hope you're as equally thankful for the saving grace of God in your life. Aren't you? I'm so glad God saved me. But I am equally, maybe even uh, greater thankfulness and appreciation for the fact that he is keeping me. Because I know what I could fall to. I know you people, you're too strong. You're too determined. You're too resolved. Is that true? No. And so we need to recognize our weakness. But I am so thankful as I just submit and surrender to Jesus, he's the one who keeps me yeah and we're going to talk about that at the end of the epistle where he talks about the keep yourself in the love keep yourself in the hand of God and guess what? the hand of God will preserve you and keep you. Do you understand that's the difference You keep yourself in God's hand and God's hand will keep you from ever falling. Isn't that good news? Yeah. So he says to them, to those who are called, sanctified, preserved, he said, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied unto you. I never, never, ever ask God for justice. Do you? If I got just what I deserved, I would have been crispy critter a long time ago. (laughs) And so would all of us, right? All of you. Yeah, thankful for his mercy, not getting what I deserve. Thankful for his grace. Getting that which I would never deserve or merit, right? And it can bring such shalom in the Hebrew, arene, in the Greek. Peace, peace. Peace with God, peace of God, peace in God. During the Advent season, we talked about that peace. That God gives peace in its fullness, but unfortunately, so many don't know that peace. They may understand the peace that they have with God as a result of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his death upon the cross. But they haven't experienced the peace of and in God because they're on the right side of the cross but on the wrong side of Pentecost. Pentecost. And we'll be talking a lot about that when we get into Acts. But here, no, no, no. These people knew. Jude was writing and he said, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Listen. Listen. Jesus would say to the Pharisees, the Pharisees were legally right in everything that they said. Their hearts were far from God. Oh, they thought they were so righteous. Legalism. Self-righteousness. Free from sin. Did anybody here free from sin? Good, I'm glad you all recognize that. Otherwise you'd be a modern day Pharisee thinking somehow you don't sin. That you're free from sin. Hmm? No, but they had this attitude that they were free from sin, although knowing the law, knowing the will of God, knowing it succinctly, exactly, yet so far from living a life of love. And Jesus said, go and learn what this means. What did he say? Come on, what did he say? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Wait a minute, we receive mercy. What do you mean do you desire mercy? What are you talk- I need to be merciful. In the way in which I display forgiveness, I will be forgiven. In the way in which I display mercy, I, I, he will be merciful. Now, listen to me. It doesn't mean that you have the ability to be merciful, to be forgiving, to be gracious. To be, no, you need to tap into the life of Christ in order for all of that to be manifest in your life. And as you're manifesting that in your life, at the same time, you're receiving that. Isn't that wonderful? You can't exhaust the supply of what God wants to give you in His person. And He knows who knows not love, knows not God. For God is the chief attribute of God, the fruit of the Spirit, the law of the Spirit, mercy, peace, love. Mm. Yeah. And that's what we should be describing and expressing in our relationships whether they be intimate, whether they be casual, in every relationship we have, people should know that we are merciful, that we are peace-loving, and that we do love them. And he said, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I wanted to write to you about the soteria, the rescue, right? That's that's the word here for salvation. It's a Greek word, soteria, which means to be rescued. Are you in peril? Are you in danger? What did you have to be rescued from? The orge of God. What's Orge you know the latest kong movie i don't know why i like it i just like that kong movie you know and and the special effects and and kong when they take the bride of kong his nostrils flaring fire in his eyes that's that's orge that's listen to me that's the orge of god that's the anger and the wrath of god against sin against rebellion And you need to understand the gospel is you've been saved from the wrath of God to come. Paul describes it in Romans as if it's a reservoir, a huge reservoir of God's wrath being stored up until one day, one day that last drop of wrath falls into that reservoir and the dam breaks forth and the wrath of God is poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world. That's coming very soon. That's fearful, isn't it? Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you, concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you. And what is that word, exhorting? Exhorting you, perakletho. It means to come alongside, to call alongside. Now, who's who's really called alongside to exhort them? Is it Jude? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what? Here's the peraklethos. The one who comes alongside to comfort us, right? And so it's the Holy Spirit, really, who desires to come along these people. It's the Holy Spirit that desires to come alongside you right now, at this time. Will you allow him, in his presence, do you get so overwhelmed and so distracted by this world and the cares of this world? How was your Christmas? Don't tell me. But too many people, their Christmas was absolute chaos. It was just nuts. I just don't have any appetite for the Christmas that this world celebrates. I love Christmas. I hate to see it end, to be honest with you. What a delightful Christmas, didn't we? Yeah. Just communing with the Lord, communing with each other. It was just peaceful, and you know, not caught up in all of the craziness that they want to suck you into. All of the unrealistic expectations, all of those hallmark moments. <laughs> Nauseum. Hmm. I want to exhort you. I want to come alongside and encourage you to contend earnestly for the faith. Contend. What is that word? The fight. 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 It means. It means there's a striving. There's a fight. There's a struggle. There's an anxiousness or an agonizing that has come upon you. And what is it? It's these creeps who have crept into the church secretly and now are bringing these damning heresies in the church and so many uh, hearts and minds are being stolen away. Some just innocent, really not understanding, ignorant. Others morally compromised. Others, ooh, in spiritual corruption and decay, purification. Hmm. But he goes on to say, It was necessary that I encourage you to exhort earnestly for the faith which was once delivered to all, delivered to the saints. What's faith? What is the faith? I'm sorry? The gift that God has given us? The faith is, listen to me without exception, without apology, the faith is there is salvation in no other other than as in Jude's day, so in our day, unfortunately there are many who call themselves Christian and believers but believe erroneously in secretism that there are other ways, other methods to Christ, or to God, excuse me, to heaven other than Jesus Christ Do you know that the majority of the professing church now believe that good people of other good people of other faiths can go to heaven? Is that true? Are you certain of that? Now like these who crept in they have an inappropriate understanding of God, proper God the Father they have a sentimental understanding of God Not a biblical, doctrinal, theological understanding of who God is. Why do I say sentimental? Oh, God is so loving, Mike. How could he condemn anybody to an eternal hell for a temporal wrong? No, no. God is so gracious, so forgiving, so loving. There's nothing you can do to separate yourself from the love of God. He is so loving. And then they presume upon the grace of God. Not fully understanding. Not having a biblical understanding of who God truly is. No, God doesn't wink at sin. Every sin is paid for. Every single sin and transgression against God will always be paid for and forever. The penalty is forever. And there's only one of two options, right? Sin either gets paid for by the sinner themselves, or your sin is paid for by Yeah the propitiation, the appeasing sacrifice of Jesus Christ on behalf of my sin and yours. Those are the only two options, you see. Hmm. No, but unfortunately, our world doesn't understand the seriousness of sin and the seriousness of the sacrifice that Jesus made, so they trample upon the blood of the sacrifice of Jesus. by presuming upon the grace of God, I can do anything I want now, I'm saved. How foolish living not in legalism, as those pharisaical Jews were doing, but now they're living in license. I can do whatever I want. That was the philosophy then. The body is evil, the spirit is saved, let the body have its way and its appetites, and the spirit will be saved in the end. That's so far from the truth. Paul would write to the Thessalonians, you know, the Thessalonians, you know. <laughs> He said, may the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, now sanctify you in body, soul, spirit, the whole man. Not just your spirit, but God has saved, saved you to have a sanctified Christ-like mine, Saved you to have a, a sanctified Christ-like life. Save you to have now a spirit joined with his, the Hagios of God. Do you understand that? Hmm. Unfortunately, many in our day, just as in Jude's day, no, they don't understand. They fall prey to these false doctrines. Yes, the faith. The faith is that you're saved through the cross of Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ alone. But saving faith is never. You know what I mean by that, right? You're saved by faith alone, correct? Yeah. Did your work save you? No. You're saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. What do I mean by that? yeah, what you said, what you said (laughs) if you're a saved man or woman your life is going to change you're going to be transformed you cannot deny the transforming power of the Holy Spirit when he comes into your life if there is no changed life there is no reason to believe for any reason that salvation has occurred when you have the Holy Spirit of God the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead with that Deuteronomy's power, right when you have the same spirit of God dwelling within you you can't help but change you don't do it. He does it in you. All you're doing is yielding. All you're doing is surrendering. All you're doing is employing. Lord, would you please, Lord, last night we prayed this last night, didn't we? Before the New Year hour, we said, Lord, once again, change us at the core of our very being, Lord. There's more change I know that you want to make in our lives, Lord. So please, you have your will. Have your way. Come into the core of who I am, Lord. And change me from the inside out so there's a transformation all The world would see, right? Present yourself a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, which is a reasonable act of worship, and do not be conformed to this world, but be ye. Are you? Now I don't ask you to answer that question to me. You have to do personal inventory. Are you transformed? Are you being transformed? I, I am being, I'm saved. I'm being saved. I will be saved still. I'm delivered, Paul would say. I'm being delivered, and I will be delivered yet. Right? And so there's a transformation that takes place that is ongoing. I've been transformed. I'm being transformed. I will be transformed still. And is that occurring in your life? You have to ask that question. And if, and if those that know you best, those that know you most intimately, can confirm, oh, Yes. God is doing a work in you. I see I see the change that's occurring in you. Then you have to ask yourself who's moved? Who's moved away from whom? Has God left you or you left God? Hmm? Yeah. Beloved, 2023 is not a time to be playing games with God or playing church. It's a time to be the church. Do you understand? It's a time to be the body of Christ. It's the time to let Jesus live his life through you, touching others who are desperately in need of seeing the reality of Christ being lived out in his people. Do you know how many? You do know how many broken lives we encounter constantly, constantly the brokenness that's occurring in our age. Yes. Yes earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. And that was through the apostles, right? The apostles' doctrine. For certain men have crept in unnoticed. What do we call them? Creeps. We call them creeps. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. You can call them, the Bible calls them creeps. You can call them creeps. These creeps have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. What are they? Godless. They're, listen to me, they're godless. You know how many godless people there are in church today? You'd be absolutely amazed if God would really give you spiritual eyes to see the godlessness that exists even in, in the church today. You know, when we come to church, I'm so glad the Holy Spirit is here. Now I experience the Holy Spirit more in my home than I experience him here, but I experience him here. I experience him wherever I go. Why? Because I'm in him, he's in me, and so we're, we're together. But I also know when I gather together here with you, not just as the Holy Spirit here, who else is here? The devil. Make no mistake about it. Now greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Every listen to me, every single human institution religion, government, business in every single country of the globe, among every single people group, Satan is in control. Do you understand that? He's the God of this age. He's in control of this world right now. When you want to understand what's happening in our government and the governments of the world and the insanity that's going on, there's only one way to understand it, it's spiritual. Yes, these creep have crept in long ago, marked out for condemnation because God had foretold it would take place. They're godless, ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I said, there are those who are legalists, right, who say, oh, I don't sin, I'm free from sin. There are those who give license and say, no, I can do whatever I want and I'll still be saved, but no, no, we want to express Christian liberty. What is the Christian liberty that Paul talks about? How do you define that liberty? I'm not sinless, I sin. Yes, 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 yes. Is that true of your life? Can you say? Listen, I'm so happy that I can declare that. I'm not sinless. Just talk to Gail, she'll tell you. But I sin less. Why? Because I have the liberty of the Spirit to say no to sin, I have the power of self control. You see, if I desire to tap into it, listen, I can either slay the beast or I can feed the beast. Which beast am I talking about? The one that's in me and the one that's in you. You understand that? But the choice is yours. Oh, you can go around like a Pharisee claiming to be righteous when there's no... I remember I met a young man a few weeks, well, this is months now. He wanted to go to breakfast with me, so we went to breakfast. He told me he never sins. It's a shocking statement for someone to make, isn't it? Yeah, said he was righteous. He never sins anymore. I'm a righteous man. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah. I paid the bill and left immediately. (laughs) But then there are those who are giving license, and that's more common today than ever before, isn't it? You young people in particular, you've got to be very, very careful of these contemporary Christian artists. Most of them are not Christian, and they're progressive, not contemporary. The most popular female Christian artist in the country is a mystic. She's a pantheist. She's not a Christian. And so many others. But Satan is using the music to draw a whole generation of young people away from the faith. The faith. Once given birth. Yes, they turn the grace of God into lewdness rather than understanding the liberty that we have, that we don't have to sin any longer. I have the grace of God, the great grace of God, not to sin, but not to sin. I got saved 42 years ago, 1980. And in 1980, I had a multitude of sins. There was only three major sins that I was dealing with. You know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. (laughs) Other than that, I had everything else conquered, you know. But seriously, I mean, I, I had some serious problems going on, some behaviors that were, were lifelong that I had no control over. Whether it was my drinking, I drank more than I drugged, but I drug a little bit, you know, but not, not any serious drugs, but recreationally on the weekend, a little weed or a little hashish, but a lot of alcohol, a lot of immorality. And I was a thief. I would use people, never pay retail, (laughs) always look for a deal, especially the five finger discount. You know, and and that was the characterization of my life, scoundrel, never to be trusted. But God changes everything. And and, and now I, I recognize, you know, at that time I had no control over my drinking. And then I came to know Jesus, and he freed me not to drink. I had no control over my alcohol or um, nicotine addiction. I smoked three packs of cigarettes a day. That's a lot of cigarettes. No control over it whatsoever. Jesus freed me not to ever smoke again, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why is it so many in the contemporary church? Jesus has freed them to do those things. It's not liberty. It's license. And that license leads to what? Bondage, slavery. You're enslaved to those things, beloved. Amazing. Oh, I can remember the largest church in Greenville County, the pastor putting a six-pack of beer on the podium and declaring that God has freed him the ability to drink. And shortly thereafter, he had to resign because of his alcoholism and his domestic abuse. Yes, liberty, not license, liberty, not legalism. Not only do they have an appropriate view of the grace of God, this sentimental attitude towards God, where God is so loving, so compassionate, so merciful, so empathetic that he never could judge sin. No, 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 sin is a very serious matter, and God does not wink at sin. And when you're his, he transforms you The evidence of your justification is that sanctification. And your sanctification, where you are being transformed, gives you every assurance of your ultimate glorification. The past justified, the present sanctified, the future glorified, work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. It's wonderful, isn't it? Isn't it, beloved? And so when you know that God is working in your life to transform you, to change you, you have every confidence of knowing, when he comes, he's coming for me. Yes, the Lord Jesus coming in 2023, coming for you and coming for me. Right? Yeah. But I want to remind you, oh, excuse me, and then they deny the only Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Syncretist means, or syncretism means that they they embrace a multitude of things. Now, isn't that true today? What happened after 9-11 at the National Cathedral? through the plurality of the worship of many gods. Denying the one true God, but embracing all these false gods. That's what's happened at the National Cathedral right after 9-11. And it's only magnified, it's only gotten worse since. As I said, try this out. And I've done it on numerous occasions. When I'm out and about in the public, for whatever reason, most people could never suspect that I'm a pastor. And I never tell them either. But I'll ask the question, hey, let me, uh, you know, I came down here from New York. You know, you guys, you know, you you guys down here, you know, you're trying to get everybody saved. Everybody's got a a revival going on. Let me ask you a question. You know, what about good people of other faiths? Can they go to heaven? Do you know that the overwhelming majority of people I ask that question answer in the affirmative, and then I explain to them, you can't possibly be saved if you believe that. Either Jesus is a liar or he's telling the truth, that he's the only way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him, through him, in him. Is that true or it's not? Why do you think you have to apologize for that? Why do you think you have to be intimidated by the world? Because that offer of salvation is open to everyone who would believe. It's the exclusivity of Christ alone, but it's not exclusive to, to only the few, it's anyone who would believe. When we talk about the doctrine of election, and some people say, Well, that's not fair. Well, choose God. Well, I don't want to choose God. Well, then you're lost. But that's not fair. I do. Well, choose God. You know, so you can go back and forth, and I can't you? But God is not willing that any should perish. How do I reconcile that? I don't. I rest in it. Rest in my salvation, knowing that God has called me, but I work it out with fear and trembling. Knowing there's mark part to play in it. Hmm? All right, back on to verse five. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So he's using Israel of old as an example. You know, three times, no less than three times in the New Testament, the old Israel of old is used that as an example of unfaithfulness, infidelity. And that God judged their infidelity. Just as God judged the infidelity of his people, Israel, he's going to judge these apostates. Now listen to me. Just as God has judged Israel, don't you think for a moment God is going to judge America? America's a whore. Not the bride of Christ. Do you understand that? We're lost in our, in our materialism, in our sensuality. The ancient gods of Babylon have resurrected They've come back. Why? We've allowed them in. We've opened up the door. I talked about that a couple of Wednesdays ago. I'll speak about it again this Wednesday. Now, we don't call it the worship of Baal or Ashtoreth or or Molech or Nemash, but it's the same thing today. It's happened all over again. In Brussels, Belgium, in front of the stock market, they have a metal statue of what? A bull. In New York City, in front of the New York Stock Exchange, they have a statue of what? A ball. What does the bull represent? The principal deity of the Egyptians, the worship of Baal and the Babylonians, the, the one who provides all of their blessing materially. It's the worship of Baal. Hmm. Baal's consort or companion in ancient Israel, during the, the pagan peoples that surrounded her was Ashtoreth in the worship of the seductress. It was sexual promiscuity. Not only did they want material prosperity, but they wanted to be pleasure mad. Having all the experiences and the pleasures that they could possibly imagine inappropriately. Not in accordance with God's word. The only safe sex is where? Right here. In marriage. And the devil didn't create sex. God did and our sexual relationship with our spouse can be some of the most fulfilling relationships we have in this life, but it can be so damaging and damning when we use it inappropriately. And the worship of materialism, the worship of sexual, sexuality and perversion. And then, and then what happens when too many people are involved in sexual promiscuity? Now you have all these unwanted children to be discarded. And in Israel, they didn't have abortion where they could take care of the problem in the womb. They had to wait till the child was born, and in the worship of Molech, they would throw them in the fires of Molech. We just do it at the abortion mill now. And all, listen to me now, listen to me. Once you go down that road worshiping the gifts rather than the giver, worshiping pleasure rather than righteousness, holiness, God, the next downward spiral, the next step in that downward spiral is occultism. And that sexual immorality and perversion leads to the worship of the occult. Child sacrifice. And then the worship of Nimash. If you want to understand where we are, Romans 1. And God had given them over to a sexual revolution. God gave them over to a homosexual revolution. God gave them over to a reprobate mind, demonic mind. Now listen, that's precisely what's happened Today. Because we've opened up the door to all of these demonic entities. you got to understand during the age of enlightenment when the gospel was going forth throughout Europe and throughout the West it was hindering these demonic spirits entities from having any control in the lives of the people of God. A Christian cannot be demon possessed. You understand that, don't you? It's impossible. A Christian can be demonically oppressed. But you can't be Possessed. Oh, but people can be possessed who do not have the Holy Spirit of God. Nations can be possessed. And what caused the greatest exorcism of the world was the, was the continued progress of the gospel from Israel westward and that Age of Enlightenment. And it went for so long, it was so easy to be a Christian in the West. After World War II, it was probably the best time in the world to be here and to be in America shortly thereafter. It didn't last long, though. After World War II, that opened up the door for all of these demonic entities to once again oppress and possess. And right now I want to suggest to you, the United States hasn't been a Christian nation for a long time, but it's no longer even a post-Christian nation. It is a pagan nation. And we are possessed. There's a spirit that has possessed this nation and this land. And we've allowed it. We Not you, the church. Not the body of Christ. But those who would give license. Yes, and God judged Israel of old, and he will judge these apostates. God judged Israel of old, Judah, the apple of his eye, the bride of Christ in the Old Testament. And God will judge America. Make no mistake about that. He uses Israel as the example, and then he says in verse six, "And the angels, the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day." What is he talking about? He's talking about Genesis chapter six, when the Benai Elohim mated with the daughters of men and produced the Nephilim, fallen angels. They're not angels anymore. What do we call them? Fallen angels lusted after the daughters of men and somehow, how, it's, it's all macabre to me. I don't even want to know how and why. I do know that the world is going to experience again once the church is gone. Because those who have been chained up, temporarily imprisoned, hasatan is given to the keys to the abyss, to the abode of those spirits that left their proper domain. And he's going to open that up and he's going to allow them to have free reign over the earth once again. And it is going to be horrific. Stephen King cannot wrap his demented mind around how bad it's going to be, but that's what he's talking about here. Go back and read the Genesis six account. Somehow, some way, these spiritual entities, these demonic forces, had mingled with the daughters of men and produced these, these half-breeds, these men of renown, these giants, the Beni Elohim, producing the Nephilim and God said, enough is enough well can't let this go on because the whole, the whole gene pool of man has been corrupted and now we've got to flush it it's, it's, it's beyond repair. we just need to flush, the, it's beyond remediate we need to flush and the whole world was flooded, except for eight people, if you want to know what a few is, a few is eight that's what the New Testament says, a few were saved a few, eight, Noah his three sons and their wives they were saved And isn't it interesting, if you read the text, you discover that it it declares that Noah was pure in his generations. What does that mean? I'm sorry? Genetically. His DNA wasn't contaminated. Hmm. Interesting. And so Jude uses them as an example as well. God will judge. Don't think that God winks at sin and rebellion. No, if your life is being characterized by rebellion against God, you have no hope of heaven. You have no assurance. It's says, my life is being transformed and occupied by the Holy Spirit where I have that every assurance that I'm his and he's mine. And now he uses an example of Sodom and Gomorrah. Look, look at the text verse 7 as sodom and gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire now it's just it's not just sodom and gomorrah it's these cities how many cities were there that were destroyed at that time consumed of god and oh by the way at the time of this writing you know what do you know about phosphorus when phosphorus burns it just continues Well, there's some who who theorize, the conjecture is, that the phosphorus that was burning in those cities, and there were four of them in particular, were still burning at that time. Wow. Now, what was the problem? Previously, it was angels mating with the daughters of men, or demons, fallen angels, and now you have men wanting to mate with angels. They were mating with men. But the perversion got so bad. Remember the visitation of the angels to Lot? And Lot entertained them, brought them into his house to give them hospitality. You know how how dangerous the streets of America are now? You know how dangerous it is for you young people to be out at night? Be careful. We live in a very, very dangerous world. And crime is rampant. And being allowed... There's no punishment. There's no deterrent. You know what's happening. Then it was no different in Lot's day. And then the men of Sodom, the men of Gomorrah, they demanded that Lot allow these angels, and they didn't know they were angels. They wanted to have inappropriate sexual relations with them. Men with men, women with women, doing that which is so inappropriate, so against nature, an abomination that we have legislated the whole world now is falling under the sway of the evil one in believing that the world has a right to do what God says is an abomination. Killing children. That was the real reason why God finally had enough. The last straw, enough was enough when he destroyed and judged Judah for the sacrifice of their children. Why? Because children are a reward from the Lord. A lot of people like Gates, the Gates Foundation, many like him, said the real problem in our world today is overpopulation. Is that true? No, there's a population crisis. Who's the one person who's got an a international voice who's declaring that? Elon Musk. He said over and over and over again, we don't have a population problem, we got a depopulation problem, we need to have more children. So if you're a young, married couple here, I'd say have as many kids as the Lord I'll allow you to have. Don't worry. He'll provide for him. Hmm. <laughs> hey, hey, if, if all the Christians decide, let's just, hey, you know, that growing up as a Catholic, in the Catholic church, uh, Catholic families were always encouraged to do what? Lots of kids. Everybody had lots of kids. You know, everybody that I grew up, you know, nine here, eight here, ten here. I mean, you know, everybody had lots of children because we, you're encouraged to, right? Keep the faith going, Right. Well, if the unbelievers are aborting their children and we're having more children, what's going to happen eventually? We win. Yes, consider Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh and are set forth as an example of suffering, the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries. They, they live in such immorality, and, and there's no authority in their life, and they have no, listen, it starts out, listen to me, listen to me, young parents, you need to make certain that your children understand your authority in their life. There are so many young people and unfortunately even within the church these children are growing up and they have no respect for authority, no respect for parental authority. They go to school, they have no respect for school administrative authority. They get out in society, they have no respect for law enforcement authority. Then we end up with presidents in the White House, no respect for constitutional authority. And ultimately what it really leads to is no respect for the authority of God in first word. Very serious that you understand that you, you decide right now What do you believe about the Word of God? Is this the inspired Word of God? Is this God-breathed, God-given to you? A revelation from God to you outside our time-space continuum, an extraterrestrial, that's who God is, okay, speaking to you. You ever hear God speak to you? You want to hear God speak to you audibly? Read the Bible out loud. (laughs) God speak to us through the Word of God, right? But the word of God is inspired. This is inspired word of God. Therefore, if it is inspired, it is infallible. What does that mean? There's no mistakes in the original language. And, and it's accurate in everything it intends to teach about whatever subject matter it's talking about. And it's inerrant in the original language, in the Aramaic and the Hebrew, in the Greek and the New Testament. It's without error. Therefore, because it's inspired, it's infallible and inerrant, it is what? Authority. It's our authority. Listen, listen to me. The overwhelming majority of people who profess to be Christian will not live to the Word of God. They have a sentimental view of God. It's how I feel. I know that's what the Bible says, but I don't feel that way. I know that's what the Bible says, but I don't believe that. Well, who the hell's authority then? I know I'm getting excited. <laughs> but this drives me crazy because I've had these conversations way too many times with people. Now, all of a sudden, you become the judge. You become the authority over the word of God. How audacious, how arrogant, how ignorant that you possibly think you can ru- rule judgment over the word of God. No, the word of God rudges judgment over me. I don't read the word. The word reads me. Is that not true? Boy, that's not popular today. Well, how do you feel about this? Well, let me tell you how I feel. I don't give a rat how you feel. (laughs) What's the word of God have to say? No, listen, I have to do... Listen, I can't base my judgments and decisions based upon how I feel. You know, often my feelings lie to me. I have to base it on what is true. Mm. Yes. Defile the flesh. Reject authority. Speak evil of dignitaries. (sighs) Isn't it amazing how many in our culture mock, scoff, ridicule Jesus and have no fear? No fear of offending the Lord of Glory. Using his name in vain. Mocking him. I remember one comedian. He said, I'm going to imitate the words of Christ. And he Got down on the floor and he was pretending to drive nails in his hands and his feet and screaming, there you go, I'm imitating the voice of Christ, shortly after that he died it's unbelievable how many coincidental things have happened to people who have openly mocked God but they have no respect not for God, not for angels and not for his representatives you know, everybody's a priest unto themselves today did you notice that? You know, there's really no reason, I don't mean that here, okay? But, but there's really no respect for the position that God has given certain men within the church to share the truth of God's word to the people. And everybody's a priest unto themselves. And what does that mean? That they, they think that they can govern for themselves, there's nobody that they're under the authority of, they're not under the authority of the word, and they don't have any pastoral authority that they're under, or church, the priesthood of all believers, as the Bible describes it, is simply the fact that you can offer a sacrifice as a priest. Priests were to officiate in the sacrifices offered unto God, right? Whether it was the burnt offering, the peace offering, the fel- whatever it might have been, the priest officiated in those offerings. Well, when the Bible says he, was a priesthood of all believers, there's a sacrifice that can be made by you as a priest that no one else in the world can make. And what is that sacrifice? Your life. That's exactly what it means. But boy, we sure misinterpreted that, haven't we? Everybody's an authority. Hmm. These dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, speak evil of danger. Yet Michael, Michael the angel contending with the devil, when he disputed with the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a revelling accusation against him. But he said, the Lord rebuke you but these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally like brute beasts like animals and these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them. Now he's speaking about Michael and that's an interesting story. You know where do we find that story? Which book? What book of the Bible do we find that story where Michael and Satan are arguing over the body of Moses? Where? It's not in the Bible. Where is it? It's in the Apocrypha. It's in the Apocrypha. That whole story is in the Apocrypha. You're familiar with the Apocrypha and the Pseudepigrapha, right? Yes, no? Those are two bodies of literature, books, and I haven't spent much time in them. I I should spend a little time because they do have some value, but they're written by Jewish authors during the intertestamental period from uh, Malachi, the Italian prophet, no, Malachi, Malachi, okay, to Matthew, that intertestamental period. There was a great amount of Jewish literature written during that period. One we call the Apocrypha. They are some added books, and if you have a Roman Catholic Bible, the Apocrypha will be in your Bible, but it's not considered the canon of Scripture. It's called the uh, Deuteronomical Canon, the second canon, okay, the Apocrypha. But because of the inaccuracies and some of the errors that are in there, we don't consider that part of the canon of Scripture, although some of those books are valuable You know, the Testament of Moses, where we get the story of the fact that Michael and Satan argued over the body of Moses. How could Satan have any claim on the body of Moses? Don't you know he's a liar and a murderer? Now, who's the accuser of the brethren? Satan. But who's defending us? Jesus. Jesus. And so Satan was accusing Moses of his many weaknesses and faults like every other human being. But Michael said, no, he's covered by his faith and belief in the promises of God yet to come, and therefore he has that kofar, that atonement, not a complete remission of his sin, that wouldn't come until Jesus came. But because he has a faith in the promises yet to come, it's reckoned him as righteousness, like Abraham. And so Michael could defend the faith that God had given Moses. Just as Jesus today sits at the right hand of God the Father, defending listen to me now, defending the faith that God has placed within your heart. Ephesians 2? For by grace you have been saved through not of your own, but a gift of God. None of works, lest least any man should boast. Listen to me. No one is saved except if they've given the sovereign grace gift of God of faith to believe. God opens up the mind. God opens up the heart. And when he does, belief will occur, and salvation is birthed. Yeah. But Michael, Michael, what's Michael mean? like God. Why? You know, there's three archangels, right? There's Michael, Gabriel, Gabriel, Lucifer, Lucifer, right? Three archangels. Each one of them created to minister unto a person of the Godhead. Who was Gabriel created to minister on behalf of? The Holy Spirit, the messenger. Right? Who was Michael, the all-powerful Michael created to minister on behalf of? Almighty God, El Shaddai, who was Hasatan created to minister on behalf of? Jesus. But he was jealous. But anyway, the text is telling you, do you have any power whatsoever to rebuke Satan on your own? Do you have any power over Satan? You know, I hear these people talk about, I rebuke you, Satan. You know, did you ever listen to these word of faith people? What happened to all the proclamations, all the prophecies they made with regard to the midterms? All we can say is they're false prophets. They need to be stoned. I think they go out in the back and get stoned after service. (laughs) But I'm serious. They all made these wonderful proclamations of what was going to happen in the midterms, and it ain't happened. They're false prophets. I see what's happening is exactly what the Word of God has told me is going to happen, and I take great comfort in that. Mm. Yes, we say, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally like animals, brute beasts. In these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. What was the way of Cain? Adam and Eve, they had two boys, right? Same parents? Same grandpa? Same, same? How would they turn out so different? What was Abel? I'm sorry? Abel was was a shepherd. Now, at that time, they didn't eat meat. So was he raising these sheep to eat? Why was he raising these sheep? Sacrifice. Abel was a worshiper and a lover of God. Cain was in rebellion to God. He hated... Same parents... (laughs) Same upbringing, same, same, but two different people. Listen, you you, you have no way of controlling how your children turn out. I have no way of controlling my children, my spouse, or anybody else in my life. The only person I have control over is... And that's where I need exercise in allowing God to take control of me. Me. But the difference between Cain and Abel, one was in rebellion to God. Just like those previous demonic spirits just like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah so Cain was in rebellion to God and rather than become his brother's keeper he became his brother's murderer but Abel worshipper and lover of God but Cain is judged that's what he's talking but don't go don't go by the way of Cain envy and jealousy and murder mm. he goes on to say nor run greedily according to the of Balaam for profit. Oh, boy. Listening to uh, two Word of Faith preachers just recently the other day, you know, I, 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 you know, I get a little lethargic and a little sluggish, and I, I, I just watch a couple of those, and, man, I'm energized, you know? It gets me so aggravated. Kenneth Copeland and Jesse Duplantis. Anybody know who Jesse Duplantis is? You know who Jesse Duplantis? Is? No? These are Word of Faith people. And, and you know, Kenneth Copeland and Jesse Duplantis, and he's got three jets, three private jets, and Copeland's almost a billion dollar. His own personal assets, a billion dollars. And Copeland says to Duplantis, gold and silver have I! Oh, my. When you hear that expression, what do you think of? I think of, of Peter and John coming into the gate called Beautiful, the Corinthian gate. And the beggar there begging alms and Peter saying, gold and silver I have. But what I do have, I'll give you. I'll give you the most valuable thing in all of the universe. I'll give you Jesus. Stand up and walk. Get healed. Become whole. No, these people, look, look at how many of these hucksters are operating today. The largest churches in Asia and Africa and the United States, word of faith. It's all about the money, nickels and noses. It's not about growing people. It's about growing their empire and their organization. Going the way of Balaam, who for personal gain was willing to betray the people of God and perish in the rebellion of Korah. What was that about? Well, quickly, Korah led a rebellion in Israel against Moses and Aaron. 250 princes of renown followed them in this rebellion. And God made the decision who was for the Lord and who wasn't. And Korah and those other two ringleaders, Abiram and Bethan, and the 250 princes of renown and their wives and their children and everything that they had all gathered together on one side against Moses and Aaron and Miriam and the, And God opened up the ground and swallowed them and closed it up. God is about to judge all of this. This hypocrisy. This licentiousness. This loose license that so many are living in today. Make no mistake about that. God will not be mocked. Your sin will find. And this is precisely what Judah is saying. These apostates are going to be judged for certain If God judged Israel of old, if God judged these angels have lost their proper dominion, if God judged Sodom and Gomorrah, if God judged Cain, if God judged Balaam, if God judged Korah, don't you think God will judge these? God is the same yesterday, today. And it's a judgment coming, beloved. Listen, I don't want you to be deceived. Read your Bible. Don't listen to these people out there. They're, They're liars. They're not shepherds. They're false prophets. They're not feeding the people of God. They're fleecing them. Judgment is inevitable. Do you understand me? There's a judgment coming upon the United States of America and upon this world like never before. Jesus said, a time of trouble of which the world has never seen before nor will ever see again. But this judgment that is inevitable, it is. It's escapable. It's escapable. Jesus said to his apostles in Luke 21 that this time of trouble is coming, but you want to pray always that you will be found worthy to escape these things. Watch. Watch and pray always that you'll be found worthy to escape these things. Now Jesus was talking to the apostles, but was that meant for them? Who was that warning meant for? For us. That word watch in the Greek text is asleep with one eye open. pray is to beg to beseech to implore God watch for his coming parousia we talked about that right the parousia the coming and then beg God beg God that you will be found worthy how can I be found worthy (coughs) by being found in him you understand that is he your life when Christ who is my life shall appear Then I shall be like him. Quickly, these are spots in your love feast while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. And they are clouds, clouds without water, carried about by the wind, autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up to their own shame, wandering stars from whom is reserved the blackness and darkness forever. They're not pastors; they're imposters. Not pastors; they're imposters, right? <laughs> they're not shepherds; they're false shepherds. They're highly. This is precisely what he's talking about, and we have so many of them today. All their concern is their own greed and material well-being, and this immorality and that sexual immorality. That perversion will always be followed up by occultism. We may not call it blatant occultism, but it's the worship of devils. No water for thirsty people. Clouds, promising water, but water never comes. Autumn trees that should be fruitful, right? The harvest in the fall is always the greatest. But no fruit at all, fruitlessness. Just like Israel should have been bearing fruit for God. Twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea just foaming up. No substance, no life, wandering stars that are here today gone tomorrow for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever now Enoch the 7th from Adam prophesied about these men also saying behold the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all to convict all who are ungodly among all their ungodly deeds for which they have committed in their ungodly way for all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him when was that written down? And where is that found? In the pseudepigrapha. The first reference there to the Testament of Moses in the Apocrypha, this one's in the pseudepigrapha. Now, I want you to understand, Jude and all of the Jews at that time would have a good understanding, if they were scholarly in any way, they would have a good understanding of those Jewish writings during that intertestamental period. Now, we don't have much regard for those writings because the pseudepigrapha, what's wrong with the books within the pseudepigrapha? It's a false authorship. They, they claim that the author is such and such when it couldn't possibly have been. So that's the biggest problem with them. We're called the Gnostic books, right? Or the Gnostic Gospels. And, and the problem with the Apocrypha was that it was so, many, so much of it, that it was inaccurate. But there is some value in some of the writing from this Jewish perspective, from their understanding, and that's what he's giving you here. That's all he's saying. Now, Enoch warned of these things. How in the world did Enoch warn of these things? That you're aware of from your Bible. Right? But how did he warn of these things to come? Because I'm sorry? before the Oh, okay, but how did he personally warn of these things? I'm sorry? I didn't hear you. No. No. His prodigy. He had a son. He was like, 65 years old when he had his son. What was his son's name? Methuselah. What does it mean? His death shall bring, death shall bring what? The flood. When he died, the judgment came. That's what God was showing as his son. Remember, he was 65, and it says he began to walk with God. Children will give you a prayer life. Children will cause you to walk close to God. Won't they, Daniel? <laughs> they will. But his son's name was Methuselah. His death shall bring... And on the day, interestingly, on the day that Methuselah died, the floods began. The rain began. Amazing. Now we look at some characteristics of these apostates. In verse 36, 16, I mean. They're grumblers and complainers. Eeyore. Right? Now, listen, if you come from another church and you come in here and you're grumbling and complaining, it won't be a matter of time before you're Grumbling and complaining here. Are any perfect churches? No. Any perfect pastors? No, no. Any perfect Christians? No. no, no. But you need to recognize where you're called to be. Any perfect husbands? No. Wives? No. No, no, no. no. But we rec- we, listen, we recognize within all the imperfections of life, whether it's within the church, whether it's within the marriage, whether it's in our family, you we're know, to be Christ-like in our understanding, our compassion, sometimes our judgment, whatever it might be. Yeah, they're grumblers and complainers. They come in grumbling and complaining, and they'll go out grumbling and complaining, walking according to their own lusts. You you can always tell when you have a wolfette or a wolf among the sheep. Because they'll come in and they're dressed in sheep's clothing, but pretty soon some of the sheep are missing. The sheep begin to get devoured. Listen, I'm I'm not a shepherd. Jesus is my shepherd. But every shepherd needs what? A good sheepdog. That's what I am. I'm a sheepdog. And I'm supposed to (laughs) be able to sniff out who's a wolf and who's a wolfette. Send them the other, either reform or go. Right? And you got to protect the flock, just like I would protect my own family. How did it get so late? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, complainers walking according to their own lust, their mouths great swelling words. They're so braggadocious so boastful about themselves. Let me tell you how great I am. You know, and so be careful. Be careful when people come in among you and and they start complaining. And listen to me. You got a complaint, take it to the Lord. If you got a complaint about me personally, don't take it to anybody else. Take it to me. We'll have coffee over it. I'll accept your complaint. I may not agree with you, but I'll hear you out. But you have no business complaining to anybody else about me. And my dear, if I have a complaint about you, I'm going to tell Eric, because he'll talk to you about it. Would that do me any good? Talking to Eric about my complaints about you, is that going to do me any good? No. Who do I need to talk to about my complaints about you? That's right. I need to go to him first. And then I'd ask his permission, which one of those things should I bring up to your attention? Because I can't play Holy Spirit in your life. But I can pray that the Holy Spirit will pinpoint those areas of your life that he wants to work on with you. And I can pray that the Holy Spirit will show me his agenda in my life in those areas that he wants to work on right now. Yeah, complainers, grumblers, they're boastful. Oh, flattering people to gain advantage <laughs> yeah oh you're the best teacher since Solomon don't flatter me I'm the jackass that Jesus is speaking through he spoke through Balaam's ass he can speak through me Okay. and so if you start flattering me I'm going to know right away my intent is going to go up there's a problem here why are you flattering me there's only one deserving to be glorified there's only one to be called reverent and it's not me Right? If you call me Reverend Varia, I don't know who you are because you don't know who I am. But who is it to be Reverend? Who is it, the shepherd of the flock? Who is it, the one who deserves all the glory and the praise? Jesus. No, but they come in, they're grumbling, complaining, they're lustful, they're sensual, they're boastful, they're flattering to try to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts these are sensual persons causing divisions, not having the spirit of God, you know, he calls them mockers, Second Peter calls them scoffers, scoffing where is the promise of his coming, for since time began, everybody, listen to me beloved, we are so close I can feel his breath on my neck I had so much more I wanted to give you this morning I need to talk about this. How many of you know anything about the digital, international, global digital identification system? What do you know about it? Uh, that is, it's being proposed in different places. I mean, it's executed in, in, in some. It's being 2019. enacted. 2019, the United Nations and that other organization, what's it called? the World Economic Forum, right, in their global reset, they have determined in 2019 by 2025, 2025, that's not far away, that everyone in the industrialized world, in the whole world, will have a global identification number, 16-digit number. Everyone, without exception. All of your information, everything that there is to know about you in every area of your life is going to be held in that account. Now, that's the digital ID. That's coming about. What, what the globalists would like to do is getting control over the globe the way that CCP has over the Chinese people. Do you understand that? Total control. Okay. Now, something is being implemented in this new year, in 2023. CBD, no, not CBD oil. You? No, CBDC. What is CBDC? Central Bank Digital Currency you know what that's all about? Every single nation who's a part of the global reset will begin to form a national bank, a central bank and digital currency where you won't have money anymore. You won't even have a Bitcoin. You'll just have digital currency. There'll be a currency or a fund established in your account with your ID number that they have complete and total control over. And they want to have all of that implemented by 2025. Now, I don't know whether they're going to be successful or not, but turn with me. Would you give me a few more minutes? Is that okay? If anybody has to leave, you know, you're free to go. But just give me another minute because we're so close. Turn me to uh, Revelation chapter 13. in Revelation 13 we have the beast described. One beast comes out of the sea, one beast comes out of the earth. The beast out of the sea is who? The Antichrist, the son of prediction. The Antichrist. pseudo Pseudo-Christ. He's not just against Christ, he claims to be Christ. He's the God of all gods. That's the beast that comes up out of the sea. This is a man, just as Jesus was God in the flesh, God incarnate, Jesus came and dwelt among us. But you want to see the perfect representation of God the Father? It was found in Jesus. Philip, have you been so timely with me? Now the Antichrist is a perfect representation of the devil in flesh. Possessed of the devil. That's where he gets his power. Now that's the beast out of the sea. The beast out of the earth, who is that? The false prophet. Now there's go- the Bible predicts, and we see it happening, that there's going to be a one world economic system. You're all going to get the number, not us. I'll explain in a minute. But they're all going to get the identification number. They're all going to be part of the whole digital system where everything you have can be taken from you in a moment. You can lose all your privileges. You won't be able to get gas. You won't be able to travel. You won't be able to buy or sell. It's all just about to happen. It's right around the corner but this beast out of the earth this is the false prophet look how he explains this I I can't go into detail about it all but just look at verse 11 of chapter 13 of Revelation then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth he had two horns like a lamb but spoke like a dragon why did he have two horns like a lamb because he's presenting himself as a representative of Christ he's he's a, a wolf in sheep's clothing he's a dragon now I personally believe that this false prophet is the pope the leader of Romanism, because he's the leader right now of the ecumenical movement in the world to bring all religions together. They, they just had a, a, a meeting of all of the major faith leaders of the world there on Mount Sinai, and what did they do? do the a new Ten Commandments. That deal with what? Not sin, not immorality, not transgression, not rebellion. What does it deal with? Climate, Climate change. How insane, how crazy. But look at this. Two horns like a lamb, spoke like a dragon, and he exercises all authority of the first beast, the Antichrist, and Satan in his presence. He causes the earth and those who dwell it to worship the first beast, worship the Antichrist, and whose deadly wound was healed. Now remember, it's a false resurrection. The devil is a counterfeiter. He counterfeits everything, okay? There's a holy trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's an unholy trinity, Satan, Antichrist, the false prophet. Amazing to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed verse 13 he performs great signs so that he would make he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and he deceives those who dwell upon the earth by the signs which he is granted to do in the sight of the beast telling those who dwell upon the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived and he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast and the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as worship the image of the beast to be killed who don't worship the beast right? so he's he's going to present a hologram or a a robotics AI I don't know what it is but somehow in the rebuilt temple in the holy of holies that he would be worshipped as God himself isn't that amazing And he performs miracles. Now, God in the past has used miracles to affirm the truth. And we'll see that as we go through the book of Acts, you're going to see that there are several miracles that take place, but not for the sake of the miracle alone, for the miracle bringing people to the attention of the truth of the word. Always, always, always the miracles are meant to point to the truth miracles will never be used to point away from the truth of God it'll be used to affirm the truth of God but here at this hour miracles will be performed to deceive people away from the truth (sighs) I saw it with my eyes I heard it with my ears (sighs) and it'll be contrary to the word of God and they'll be so deceived why? believing the lie because they had no love of the truth look what it says And he was granted, verse 15, power to give breath to the image of the beast and the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the beast to be killed. He causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave to receive a mark upon their right hand and upon their foreheads and so that no one may buy or sell except except the one who has the mark and the name of the beast or the number of his name. And here is wisdom let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man his number is 666 six, six, as opposed to 777 seven, seven. Jesus has got the number 777 seven, seven. that's the number of perfection we got the number 888 eight, 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 with the number of redemption this is the number 666 six, 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 which is the number of man digital ID everyone in the world. Digital currency. You see what happened to the truckers in the truckers' protest in Canada. Australia and Canada are the most progressive of the Western nations right now used as they, the poster children for this whole move, this whole reset. global. Re- we are so close. Now, here's what I want you to understand, and we don't have time this morning. I should dismiss you now, but I'm not. In Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, right? Chapter 2, we're told that None of this can transpire until he who restrains is taken out of the way. Who's restraining all of this right now? The church. The church. The church. Now it's not the, the people will say, "Oh, well, it's the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. The Holy Spirit, God. God, the Father is God, God, the Son is God, God. the Holy Spirit is God. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. There's no place that exists where he cannot be. Read Psalm 139. The spirit is everywhere. So the Spirit's not going anywhere, but it's the influence of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. Not Christendom! In the body of Christ today. It's the influence of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ that's going to be removed and these things will begin to happen. Now listen to me. If we're so close to that happening now, what does that mean? (laughs) Hallelujah! 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 Do you understand how close it is? I wanted to go into more detail this morning, but you know, time never. I, you know, I, I just despise a clock. Don't you? (laughs) I'm sorry I kept you over, but you know, it's so important. Listen to me. This year, 2023, you need to contend. You need to fight. You need to agonize against what is taking place, and you need to do everything you can to open up the eyes of the blind. All right, wait a minute, before you close, can I go one more place? Go, go to Jude one more time. This is so important. Tell those who walked out later. Verse 20, but you, beloved, that's you, building up yourselves in the most holy faith. The the apostles' doctrine, right? Read, uh, we'll, we'll get in there when we get into Acts chapter 242. You know, remaining steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread, fellowship, prayer. All of those are so important disciplines that we need to be engaged in to build up our faith. Everything is against our faith. Everything's trying to destroy our faith out there, okay? And it goes on to say... Praying in the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean you're praying in tongues. That means you're praying in cooperation, in unity with the Holy Spirit. That means you pray long enough where you really start praying. Did you ever find out when you start to pray, if you only pray for just a few minutes, your prayers are worthless. You're so distracted by so many other things. Your mind is in a thousand different places and you need to really settle yourself and begin to pray long enough where you really start to pray in harmony with the Holy Spirit. You let the Holy Spirit tell you what and how to pray. You see, that's what he's talking about here. And keep yourselves in the love of God. Why? So that you'll be kept by God. Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. So he talks about faith, love, and hope praying, uh, remaining in the faith of the apostles' doctrine and the love of the spirit and that that eternal hope. What is the Christian's greatest joy, highest and greatest joy? I'm sorry? The promise of eternity. The promise of his coming. That's the greatest joy. (laughs) More and more, this world has nothing to offer me. More and more, I can't wait to either jump off this place or take me. However you want to do it. But I'm ready to go. Go. I'm looking forward to that blessed hope. And that's what he's talking about here. And then he goes on, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life, the rapture. And on some, have compassion. Now he's going, three. listen, we're going to encounter three different types of people out there, and he wants us to have compassion on them. First of all, it says, have compassion on some, making a distinction. The some that he's talking about here are those who are weak in faith. How many are so weak in faith and they fall, fall prey to all of these hucksters that are out there? You know anybody? I know far too many people that I love who have fallen prey to these hucksters. Because it's all about emotion and sentimentality rather than the truth of God's word. And they're being sucked into this. Now, I have to do everything I can patiently, lovingly, and pathetically, trying to draw them out of there. Because they're being so deceived. Then there's another group, he says, what's he talking about? those who are in doubt and weak in faith, but then he says, making a distinction, but others save with fear. Pulling them out of the fire. Those those are spiritually diseased people. Well, first of all, the second group are morally compromised. You have those who are just weak in their faith. They're young Christians. They really don't understand the Word of God. They haven't spent enough time really digging down into the, the understanding of God's Word. I, I wanna sp- I, I, I've want to. i been spending the last 42 years, I'm going to spend the rest of my life just learning to know God and His Word. The more I know of the Word of God, the more I know of the God of the Word. The more I know of the Word of God, the more I know of the God of the Word. You understand? You understand? But there are those who are weak in faith, but then there are those who are morally compromised. Moral compromise will keep you away from the Bible. The Bible will keep you from sin, but sin will. The Bible will keep you from sin, but sin will. You betcha. And bad company corrupts. Always, always. And so that's a second group of people. They're they're, they're morally compromised. Now, you, you need to address it. Those who are weak in faith, you need to try to build them up in their most precious faith. But those who are compromised, you need to tell them. Don't you know? Don't you understand? You run the risk of being separated from God forever. Would you want that? No. But then there's this last group he's talking about. And then pull those in. Hating even the garment defiled by the flesh, they have the stench of rotting flesh. Why? They're spo- so spiritually corrupted. Yeah, and you got to be careful. You don't want to be defiled by them. You don't want to get contaminated by them. But you, but you do what you can. you got to pray for them. you got to warn them. You know, exhortation, exhortation, comfort. Now, there are many who are so spiritually corrupted and they have the stench of death, the stench of rotting flesh. You can't accept that. You got to call it what it is. And that's what Judah's saying. Now, listen, the, the, this year, this year, we have enough love for God and enough love for the lost that you'll tell them the truth, but tell them lovingly. Why? Because the judgment's coming, the end is coming. We are so close. Listen, if we're that close to the world being governed, By a one world governmental system, one world economic system, one world religious system, which is precisely what God has told us was going to happen, that before all of that takes place, he came the first time to rescue you from your, he came the second, he's coming the second time to rescue you from the corruption of this world. And then, and then, oh my, oh my. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Why? Because I keep myself in the love of God and then he keeps me. And to present me faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. Absolutely true. That's what amen means. Do you understand that? That that amen at the end is not, oh, amen. No, amen. It's absolutely true. Do you believe it? I believe it. And I'm living it. Do you? That's what the world needs to see. People who truly live what they say they believe. It's absolutely true. My Jesus is coming. It's 2023. He's coming for you and he's coming. Do you know that? Yeah. Shall we stand?